Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, directed, in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. Greetings, my good people. How are you? How's it going? What is happening? How's everybody doing out there? Hope everybody's feeling well. A new day, a new week. Closer to the end of the month, halfway through the year, we could break it all down as positive or as negative as we want it to be, but you've come here for some sports, and I'm going to try to shed some positive light in a negative world when it comes to what's happening on the ice, the diamond, the gridiron, all that good stuff. Here on the latest edition of the J Reels Podcast, I am your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. Thanks so much for downloading and listening to this content, and for those who have been banging with me for now, 139 episodes, I welcome you guys back. It is a Monday, June the 22nd in the year of our Lord, 2020. The J Reels, what's the deal segment? What to expect from me here over the course of the next hour is as follows. The Belmont Stakes took place right here in pretty much in my backyard out in Long Island where the prohibitive favorite, Tis the Law, the three-year-old Colt from upstate New York, wins the Belmont Stakes, which is the front end, and which is usually the back end of the Triple Crown. So the question bodes, is this Triple Crown for this year legit? Since they're pretty much going in reverse. Now remember, they're going to do the Kentucky Derby in September and then the Preakness in October. Is it going to be legit? We'll talk about that later on. As well as Brett Favre's comments about Colin Kaepernick. As far as his quote, attaining hero status similar to Pat Tillman. I'll explain why. That the Hall of Fame quarterback's comments ring hollow. And also the impact of what Colin Kaepernick did back in 2016. And how he was one step, or in this case, one kneel ahead of everyone else. I'll also get into Jamal Adams, the safety of the New York Jets, requesting a trade and him being recorded over the weekend as far as him trying to get to Dallas, which is where he grew up, about 30 miles right outside of AT&T Stadium. And we'll certainly touch on that as well as a bunch of other things that are going on throughout the sports world. Obviously, the Major League Baseball, which has become a disaster. And I'll keep you up to date on what's happening there. But as I said at the top, as far as this month almost being over, and we started this month pretty much going into the racial climate of this country and everything that has transpired going back to the end of last month in Minneapolis with the death of George Floyd, and then everything that has ensued since then, all the protests. We had another unfortunate killing last week by the police in Atlanta with the one Rayshard Brooks. And with everything that has transpired over the last three weeks, You would think that being the biggest headline going throughout the country, it almost seemed as a forgotten case where the coronavirus, a la COVID-19, just about dissipated. It was out of everybody's conscience. A lot of people thought, well, hey, coronavirus, where have you been? Where has it gone? Everybody's protesting on the streets. Everybody's out there in groups, whether it's at the beach, the parks, and so many different parts of this region of ours that we think, well, hey, maybe we're getting over this. Maybe the curve is finally flattened. Maybe 
because of everything that has gone on, that's been the focal point. And then the coronavirus, with especially in this neck of the woods here in New York, where the hospitals obviously have decreased as far as patients being treated for coronavirus, etc. And then what happens? Good old COVID shines his ugly head and says, uh-uh-uh, not so fast. This is a movie that you can never script, that you can never make up, because Hollywood will look at it and just throw it in the garbage. But meanwhile, it is happening right before our eyes. And just to talk about this realm here, as far as sports are concerned, that all you have to do is just go back and check the receipts on the last few podcasts. Now, I get that this month I've talked a lot about what sports we're planning to do as far as the bubbles in Orlando for the NBA. We still didn't know what was going on with the NHL as far as their hubs are concerned. Baseball, what was going to develop. Forget about what's going on with the players and owners, but if they were to finally agree, would there be a bubble in Arizona or Florida? Well, it just so happens that those are two of the big hotspots in the country when it comes to coronavirus right now. That it certainly makes you think, is it going to be worth it at the end of the day to play any of these sports? Now, we understand golf, and they've been impacted as well, which I'll get to in a minute. Golf is one sport where you can social distance. I get that you're going to have a caddy that's going to go with you throughout the 18 holes of the 72 over the course of a four-day weekend, but we know that there could be at least six feet, or if the caddy's going to wear a mask, even if it's 100 degrees, depending on where they are, whether it's in Texas or somewhere in the south or even out west. But here it is, now COVID front and center, that it's impacting the sports world to the point where you got to wonder whether or not these leagues are certainly have to not only show concerns, but there has to be worries throughout the sports that haven't picked up their seasons where it left off back in March. For now, baseball, forget about it. We won't even get to baseball until later on. And then also the NFL. We could talk college football too, but I want to keep it to the pro sports for now. And college football has also been impacted, which I'll get to. But when you look at the NFL, and we've talked about it for weeks on end, how they've been unscathed, how they've been bulletproof throughout all this, that, all right, they had to relocate the draft to a virtual draft, and that was successful where 55 million people viewed it. And as I've said time and time again, you could hold a draft on the moon and air it 2 a.m. on a Tuesday morning and the ratings will still be through the roof. But now the NFL is going to have to deal with this and you thought, and you had a feeling it was going to come. They still have some time, but I'll break down the NFL and what they're going to have to grapple when it comes to the coronavirus. But we'll start off with the week that was because after I logged off last week, and turned off the mic and started editing, the news already had come down that several Cowboys and Texans players in the NFL had contracted COVID, and the big player out of all that was Ezekiel Elliott. Then you found out later in the week, you had two Tampa Bay players also ended up getting it, which is also, I don't want to say strange, but when you look at Tom Brady, there was some footage over the weekend where he was performing or practicing at a high school field somewhere in the Tampa area. And who knows how much they were practicing social distancing and who knows if they're, they've been getting testing, whether it's independently or if they've gone through the team to test. And it just seemed at that point, it just snowballed from there. When you find out that players from the Phillies, from the Toronto Blue Jays, 
and the San Francisco Giants also come down with the virus to where they shut down all the facilities throughout Major League Baseball. You had 200 NHL players that were tested since the facilities opened on June 8th, and 11 of them contracted COVID, with the biggest name being the Toronto Maple Leaf winger Austin Matthews. You also had three Tampa Bay players affected, as well as some staff members. As we know, Florida is a new epicenter. Now, a lot of it is mostly in South Florida, and their numbers are just rising by the day. They had over 4,000 on Saturday, which is a record for Florida. I don't know about New York. Again, New York, our heads were spinning when it comes to the numbers and the increase of patients in hospitals. So I, I couldn't even tell you exactly how many, what was the high watermark for New York, but Florida now is certainly feeling its impact, especially over the last week to 10 days. So you have that situation with the NHL. You also have golf, as I mentioned, Nick Watney, who was a player who performed at the Charles Schwab the week before in Fort Worth. They had a tournament over the weekend in Hilton Head, I believe it was the RBC Heritage. Didn't feel well Thursday, was tested on Friday, and next thing you know, he has the coronavirus. As far as college football is concerned, I don't know if spring practices have been taking place, but Clemson and LSU were literally bombarded. You figure Clemson, they had 20 players test positive for coronavirus, but then LSU said, wait a minute, let me push through the front of the line because they had 31 players contract COVID over the course of the last, I guess, week or so. And no, we're not done yet. Now the NBA, one of their coaches were affected. And the one, Mike Malone, the Denver Nugget coach, who said that he had coronavirus and that he's doing much better ever since he contracted it. But you have the situation now in Orlando with this bubble that is going to be the hub for the rest of this NBA season into the postseason. And now you have a bunch of players coming out stating that they're concerned or worried or nervous that once they get in this bubble, how do they know that they're not going to contract it considering that, right, I mentioned South Florida has been the epicenter, but it's starting to move north and spread throughout the state that even in a bubble like Orlando, how do they know that the staff members, whether it's the concierge, whether it's the bellboys, the wait staff, food service or food, uh, room service, I should say, all these different components that are going to make up of this bubble. And as I said last week, and I'll say it again, there's no way that these workers, these essential workers that are going to be in the bubble, they're not going to be able to transport out of this bubble considering the height of this virus and where it's at right now in the state. I mean, how are they going to be able to work, let's say, an 8- or 10-hour shift and then be able to leave to go home to their families and then come back knowing that they're trying to finish an NBA season here where if one person gets it, who knows how quick it's going to spread, asymptomatic or not. And the NHL right now, they're on hold because we don't know where their hubs are going to be. And I'm sure they got to be shaking in their boots a little bit knowing that, considering that they don't have the official hubs of where they're going to finish their seasons, but they know that with this being out there and how are they going to be impacted by this is certainly something that they're going to deeply consider. And at the end of the day, we know it all boils down to one thing, people. Money. 
Because if this is a situation where they're going to look at the, from an ethics standpoint, and they're going to look at it from not only that, but even from a health standpoint, if it wasn't because billions of dollars are at stake here, these teams would have folded their tents a long time ago. They would have looked at this and said, there's no way. We cannot fight this demon. And I've said it time and time again, people, as I like to say, check the receipts. When people ask me, is sports coming back? Oh, will we see a baseball season? Oh, will the NHL and NBA resume? What's going to happen with all the other tournaments, the U.S. Open that's going to take place in Queens in about two months? I said the virus is going to decide that. They're going to dictate whether or not these sports are going to resume. And right now, you're at a point in all these leagues, and I'll get to the NFL in a second. You're at a point where all these leagues are certainly right now going up against the 11th hour, where they're going to have to make a decision on whether or not to pull the plug or just cross your fingers and say a bunch of Our Fathers and Hail Marys. Because at this very moment, June 22nd, it is not looking good. Despite the fact that the NBA is looking to pick up on July 31st as well as the NHL and there's still a month to go between now and then. But as we've seen, whether it's on the news or social media, wherever you follow or look at your sources as to where you pick up all your information in reference to coronavirus, I hope New York doesn't follow suit to the rest of this country when they're starting to open up the phase twos and the phase threes of the world because how is it that people think that because you're increasing in your phases and you think that you're going you're going back to a normal life or a new normal life that people just throw away the masks people just have disregard to think that it's over and done with that we don't have to worry about this virus anymore and then you see it root in Florida in Texas in Arizona, in South Carolina, and many other states, California, many other states throughout this nation of ours. And all you have to do is just sit and think and say, hey, you got to continue to wear the mask, people. You got to continue to make sure that you don't come in close contact with people, whether it's in an outdoor space at a park or certainly in an indoor space, whether it's a bar, restaurant, I don't even think the malls, I know not in New York just yet, but if the malls are open in those aforementioned states, then you got to wear a mask. What about the woman who in Florida was a healthcare worker, I believe somewhere in South Florida, she decided to go out with 15 of her friends or coworkers, and what happens? All of them, bam, coronavirus. Nobody wearing masks. And I'm going to say this, people, right off the bat, I can't stand wearing them. I don't want to wear them. Forget about the weather. Forget about a lot of the stuff you may read online as far as, oh, masks don't work, masks are this, masks are that. The CDC says that it pretty much, and the WHO doesn't say that by wearing a mask, it's going to protect you or protect you from not getting it, so on and so forth. Put that aside. In order to curtail this whole pandemic, it begins and ends with wearing that. Because as we've seen here over the last week to 10 days, especially although people are still protesting and rightfully so, and you're still seeing that in the news, but a week to 10 days ago, it was all about Black Lives Matter and everything that was happening on the news. You saw that. You didn't see anything about coronavirus. And now all of a sudden it's like, hello, I'm still here. I never left. 
not only just the public like ourselves have to deal with it, but as I've detailed, now the sports world is being highly impacted. And as far as these sports are concerned, as I said, I said it before and I'll say it again, they should pull the plug on this. They're not going to because all the money that's at stake. And with the NFL, before I get into the baseball, maybe a couple other things to wrap up this opening monologue with the coronavirus. As I said before, the NFL has certainly been clean throughout this whole period between March 11th and now. But their day's coming. And we could talk about no fans and if they do get to start their season on time, being able to start their season and not have to worry about coronavirus until maybe the second wave, the expected second wave to arrive sometime October, November, even into December. But here's the problem with that. If players are contracting that now and whether or not they're in these facilities or have been in these facilities or they have been practicing, like I mentioned, the Tampa Bay players who had contracted it, their names hadn't been released as of yet, but what is going to happen then when training camps do open up and they're literally sweating and bleeding on top of one another because we all know football is not a social distance sport. And then you're also going to have to deal with once the games start, I'm sure they're probably going to have to scrap most of the exhibition games, which is a favor to everybody out there because as I've said time and time again, the exhibition games, they could be in my backyard, I'd draw the blinds. But here's where the NFL has to get it at some point because they cannot wait until the last minute to make a decision just for the sake of the shield. The Hall of Fame game is August the 3rd. Now, that's still about five, six weeks away, but they also have the Hall of Fame ceremony where you have the induction of players, the Troy Polamalu's, the Edron James, Bill Cower, a bunch of other coaches and players that are going to be enshrined in Canton. And we all know they have their speeches. It's a whole day into the evening, etc. But here's the problem with that. Baseball canceled theirs, I would say, almost two months ago. And they had the foresight to say, we should just put this off till next year. Hopefully everything will be fine. There'll be some sort of treatment and everybody could get together and we'll celebrate Derek Jeter and Larry Walker and we'll just see you guys in 2021. Well, the NFL is like, ah, we got time. Ah, we should be okay. They're going to have to make a decision on this soon. And it's a disgrace that they haven't even, it seems like they haven't even thought about it because they feel that, ah, it's pretty far in the distance. Well, guess what? July is next week. And what do you think? The time's automatically going to stop or this thing's just going to go away as if it was only meant to be here for a week, a month, a few months. Right now, we're going on four months. It's like the Terminator. It's relentless. So the NFL has a long road that they're going to have to go down just like all the other leagues had to and are currently doing, as I've stated. So they need to get their act together to see what they're going to do here as far as not only just their players and facilities and trying to think about training camp, which is going to be a month from now, and also how they have to go about that Hall of Fame ceremony, which is small potatoes in the long run, but also when they get into their regular season. And then Dr. Fauci, who came out and said that the NFL should see if they could implement a bubble system, a la the NBA in Orlando, that is the most impossible thing 
that could happen just like it would be impossible for baseball because the NBA with basketball courts and having a scenario where you have a complex with hotels and facilities that you could not only house the players, but the players could play the games. You could do that. What do you mean to tell me that you're going to go to some state where there's 16 football fields, whether it's college, high school, maybe in the pros, let's say if you're in Wisconsin, I'm just throwing a state out there and that all of a sudden is going to work or same thing with baseball. And I mentioned that thing about the hubs, but it's not going to work when you think about it, because if you do it in Florida, it rains every afternoon from now until November. So you're never going to get games in. And then in Arizona, it's 110 in the shade in the middle of the afternoon. You're not going to have a baseball hub in Vegas. You're not going to have a baseball. It's it's insane. But for Fauci to even suggest that, he's got to be off his rocker. Now, we understand he's not more of a sports guy. We We get that he's trying to maybe send the NFL in a certain direction now where there may be still time to savage whether or not they want to implement a bubble scenario. But let's face it, it's almost impossible to house 32 teams, players, personnel, medical staff, forget it. There, there is absolutely no chance. So the NFL certainly needs to start acting quick, fast, in a hurry and to make some decisions because as much as they want to put themselves out there as we're the NFL, nobody could affect us, we come and go as we please. Yeah, the other sports were bothered, but you know what? This is just dirt on our shoulder that we'll brush off without any implications and we'll be on our merry way. That is not the case. So they certainly need to get themselves together and make some decisions here because before you know it, it's going to be mid-July and it's going to be training camp. And who knows if the NBA is going to start on time? Who knows what's going to happen with the NHL? Baseball, which I'll get to in a minute. That's also, that's another disaster. But I've said it once and I'll say it one more time. COVID has reared its ugly head and it's saying, oh, you're ready to go back to playing sports? You thought? I think not. All right, and let's get to the latest with baseball. Let's see if a word comes down today as far as the players now have to not necessarily counter, but they have to vote on whether or not the latest and final proposal from the owners is it going to stick, which is right now a 60-game proposal. The players want 70. Now, mind you, the 60-game proposal means that it's prorated with their 100% salaries, So they're not going to get any cuts. As we all know, it's been back and forth, 75%, 50%, 80%, whatever it is. But right now, the owners are standing pat. And right now, they have all the leverage. Because if you remember last week, Tony Clark came out with a statement saying, our players want to play, just tell us when and where. And then what happened was, the owners came out with their proposal, even... Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball, went out to visit Tony Clark, had a framework of a deal set, looked like it was just about a handshake deal to the to the point where Manfred went back to the owners and I said, I think we're going to be fine here moving on out. Let's see what uh, Tony Clark has to say. And then that morning, over coffee and his oatmeal with blueberries and agave syrup, he must have choked it right out because Tony Clark says, you know what? 
we're not going to meet with you halfway. We want more games. We do want the 100% pay. And whatever else that was stipulated going back to even March 26th when they made the agreement right at the start of the baseball season knowing that COVID impacted this whole thing. The commissioner stated that we have 60 games on the table, expanded playoffs, they promised not to file a grievance, which that goes back to March 26th too. Or they're going to reject it and force the commissioner to implement his own schedule, potentially without extra playoff teams because that's also been talked about that you may have as many as 16 playoff teams over the course of the next two seasons and that even though the framework of the deal was made but that's been pulled off the table because now this is our last stand and the players were supposed to have a vote in as early as I believe Saturday but due to the latest events with COVID-19 they had put it on hold I believe the vote's supposed to come through today And you wonder if the players are going to, I don't want to say capitulate, but you got to wonder whether or not they're going to accept this. And right now, it looks like they have no choice. This has been a tennis match, which has been volleying back and forth from the owners to the players. Owners wanted 82 games. The players wanted 114. Then it dropped it to 50. Then it went to 89. Then it went to 60. Now they want 70. But even... With Tony Clark's statement, when and where, and the players had backed that up 100%. All right, 60 games. What's your answer? If the players say no to this, and let's say, oh, we want 65, now they're just splitting hairs. They need to cut out the nonsense and just sign on the dotted line, give us 60 games, start it August 1st or July 29th or whatever it may be, and take it from there. But then again, You do have COVID out there. And that's the other thing too. You wonder with this recent rash of cases throughout the country, does the coronavirus have not just an impact, but do they have an influence on these players' decisions in order to accept the proposal? Because they must think like, well, we got to get the season in. We can't push it to 70 games as much as we want to because what happens if We get into October and we all know that the second wave may come back. And that's one of the reasons why the owners don't want to push the season any longer than what it should be. But they also have to think, and the players are going to think about their health first. They're not even thinking about it from the game's perspective or the season. They're thinking about it. Well, hey, how's my health going to be impacted? Are we going to be in a bubble? Are we going to, whatever it is. And that's where this thing could get ugly. Because I'm sure the players are probably thinking right now, What's the scenario going to be when it comes to us being a part of getting the season back on the tracks or even to get started? I heard over the weekend that the Mets and Yankees are both going to train in their respective stadiums here in the Northeast. I haven't heard anything from any other teams, whether the Red Sox, the Orioles, Nationals, and even go out West. Will the Diamondbacks train out of Chase Field in Phoenix? What about the two Florida teams, considering... What's going on in that state? And with all the facilities that have been shut down as it is throughout Major League Baseball, are they just going to house them in the stadiums? Their training, practices, etc. I'll just say this, people, and move on to other things. The players are clueless. They really are. 
And I get that they can look at me and say, well, who are you, J-Reels? You never even laced up a cleat. You never put on a glove. Well, listen, I, I know about baseball and played baseball. Granted, not in the major leagues. I get that. Not even in college. Yes, high school. But I played the sport. And it's not as if I'm some stat geek or some nerd from MIT who couldn't throw a ball to save his life or couldn't swing a bat if his life depended on it or if my life depended on it. Because trust me, I know. I followed. I watched for the greater good. As long as my health is fine and as long as I know that I could get tested and as long as I know I could have my family there, when and where. But let's not use the coronavirus now as an excuse for a lot of these players to bail out. Because we all know at the end of the day, yes, health is important, but it was all about the money. It was all about them getting their 100%. And I can understand that. I really can. But at this stage of the game, knowing that not just baseball, but all the sports and their leagues, they're in peril right now. And I know that they're shaking in their boots, knowing that baseball may not earn a buck this year. That the NBA and NHL, they're going to be not paralyzed, but they're going to be maimed if they don't get started here. And we'll see what's going to happen with the NFL. But if the players had any sense, and I understand they don't want to give the owners another inch, but if they had any sense, they would say, provided that the health memo and my family and everybody's going to be protected, whatever it is, if it's 60 games at 100%, let's do it. And if COVID happens to step on the players and MLB's necks, just like they've done the rest of the other sports, then so be it. Sadly, it was a freak of nature that the MLB season wasn't to commence. But if the players are going to boo-hoo one more time, come on, just make it 66 games. Or Nope, we want 70. That's the line in the sand. Then you know what? Don't play baseball. That's it. Just give it up, and away we go. And people, I know this is as crazy as it is. I want to shed some positive light. I wish we could be talking about games or these leagues starting, or hey, the first round of the NHL, or the NBA, whatever. I I wish that could be the case. But I'm just being real with you guys. I'm not trying to be negative for negative sake. I mean, this has been going on since the middle of March. And even then, I had no clue. And even today, I don't have much more of a clue. But the one clue I do know is that it goes back to the virus. This sucker isn't going away. And if it's not going away, then sports is going to go away with it. Back to baseball, we'll see. I hope before I sign off here, I'll get an answer to be able to chime in on it. And if not, I'll have to post on my social media accounts, which you'll get at the tail end. I'll definitely post a video on that because I need to be more present on my social media platforms, not just typing and stuff, but just with the videos. But anyway, I digress. But that's what we got there with with baseball, people. And all the other sports in a big, giant nutshell, or let's call it as you see it, a big, giant bubble. To try to be a little comedic here, a little funny as we move along. All right, I want to get to a couple of NFL deals, some storylines, I should say. The first thing I want to get to is the comments that Brett Favre said about Colin Kaepernick, saying that he will attain hero status similar to Pat Tillman, who was the former Arizona Cardinal safety. Remember, he died in a friendly fire, going back to believe that was what, 2003, 2004? Now, TMZ Sports interviewed Favre and had asked Brett 
has Kaepernick reached the stature of Jackie Robinson or Muhammad Ali and whether or not he belongs in the Hall of Fame for his work on and off the field? Now, this is Favre's quote. He says, I can only think of, right off the top of my head, Pat Tillman's another guy who did something similar and we regard him as a hero. So I assume that hero status will be stamped with Kaepernick as well. And then, of course, Tillman gave a football serve for our country, blah, blah, blah. Excuse me. So, well, here's the first thing I have to say about that, which is you can't compare Kaepernick to Tillman. There's going to be a large majority of people in this country, and to a certain extent, rightfully so, that Tillman fought for our country when you had a guy that wouldn't even go out and vote. And I'm not trying to pile on Kaepernick. It sounds like I am, but I'm not. But you're going to have that faction of the the country that's going to say, how dare you compare Tillman to Kaepernick because here's a guy who fought for our country and died, whereas you had a guy who took a knee, and I'm going to get to Kaepernick as far as that's concerned in a minute, but you had a guy who took a knee, and then you can look at all the antics that he had off the field, you know, wearing the Fidel Castro shirt in Miami and the socks calling the cops pigs and et cetera. Okay, that's fine, number one. But number two, you can't, Pat Tillman is not a Hall of Fame player. May God rest his soul. But let's not make Tillman out to be Ed Reed. Because Pat Tillman, he was not. He was a hard-nosed player, good player. Wasn't an all-pro. He may have made one Pro Bowl, but let's not make him out to be one of the top 100 players of all time. He was not. So that's number one. And number two, I get TMZ. They're a credible source. We all know TMZ. They're very reputable. And I can understand maybe comparing Kaepernick to closer to Muhammad Ali than to Jackie Robinson. I mean, there's very few people that you could compare to Jackie Robinson as far as the stature and the importance of this country. I mean, Jackie Robinson is up there. I mean, he's way up there. And as far as Muhammad Ali, you can't compare Muhammad Ali and Colin Kaepernick at all. What they did in the ring and outside of the ring. You can't. This guy's Muhammad Ali. Everybody knows who Muhammad Ali is. And he's been gone. He's left us a few years now. But here's the thing with Kaepernick that people will forever miss the boat and they're going to look at him as a guy that caused a ruckus between himself and the league and selfish agendas and things of that nature, which is now when you look at it, we all know that he's been right from day one. When you look at what the impact of what he did then, which went blind on a lot of people, and now to what everything, it's pretty much come to a culmination where this country right now, for every other day you're seeing a video about somewhere at some part of this country, police brutality. We had an incident in Far Rockaway, Queens just yesterday, which was videotaped. It's nonstop. And for him to... Kaepernick, that is. And for him to have that foresight to realize that this is my way to take a stand and I'm letting it be known. And right, he should not be compared to Muhammad Ali. He should not be compared to Jackie Robinson. Absolutely not. But for this generation, he is who he is. And he was the only person at that time to have the awareness to take a stand and to realize that this is going to be my way to protest or at least to show the world that I stand united by my race, by the people who have been affected by police brutality, social injustice, etc. And I get that this is something that took place four years ago and it's resurfacing again, but 
when Favre came out and said that, I could see what direction he was trying to go with that. And TMZ, they were trying to get an answer. So it was similar to what happened with Drew Brees a few weeks ago at Yahoo Sports with the whole national anthem thing and players kneeling and so on and so forth. And we know what Drew Brees said. And now they were trying to get something out of Brett Favre. So let's put that aside. But with all that being said, when you look at the landscape of this country and everything that has transpired, he does become a hero in that regard. Now, should he be a Hall of Famer? Absolutely not. Hall of Fame is for what he did on the field. Now, if he was a guy that produced and not only that was dominant in his pursuit of his NFL career, then without question, he's a Hall of Famer. But he is not a Hall of Famer in regard just because of what he's done. And again, was light years ahead of everybody else when it came to what was going on in this country. Does he deserve a plaque in Canton? Absolutely not. Those are two separate things. One has nothing to do with the other. But I will say that this year, especially in the NFL, you're going to see a ton of people kneeling. And when people are going to look and think about all those NFL players and them, whether it's on the sideline, at the 50-yard line, wherever it is, in the end zone, when they see the multitude of players throughout the league on one knee, it's all going to go back to Colin Kaepernick. And for that, he deserves a hero status in that regard. No one should question that. Whether you're a fan of his, whether you can't stand him, whatever, but you know what? Give it up. And obviously, it cost him his career. And for even Roger Goodell, and this is a layup, but I'm not going to spend time on this. Even for Roger Goodell to say that some GM should consider him for a job in the NFL, please. Nobody wants to hear from Roger Goodell when it comes to Colin Kaepernick. Nobody. Ten years after the fact. Well, you know, four years after the fact. I mean, that's just a disgrace. Goodell knows he missed the boat on that, so he shouldn't even have to utter Colin Kaepernick's name out of his mouth again. So that's number one. Number two is this situation with the jet safety Jamal Adams. Now, he's been disgruntled for quite some time. He's a guy that we all know Sixth overall pick by the Jets from LSU. And as a player that certainly has his fingerprints on that defense, he's certainly the heart and soul of that Jet team because the young guys on offense, whether you're Sam Darnold, even Le'Veon Bell, he's just been there for a year. Those guys haven't made their mark on the team and certainly in the league the way Jamal Adams has. And Jamal Adams is trying to get himself out of New York to potentially get to Dallas to play for the Cowboys. But here's the bad part. He is now using his all-pro status, and he is a good player. Actually, he's an above-average player for him to not only make a Pro Bowl, but also be an all-pro. But he's only doing it once. You know, this guy hasn't been in the league five years, and he's been first-team all-pro three times. So you could sense that the NBA player empowerment power play is right now in effect because he's trying to do whatever he can to get to Dallas. And the Jets right now are saying, we have no interest in moving him on to another team. We're not going to give in to his demands just for the sake of him wanting to be out of here as he requested a trade last Thursday. And the one thing is, if you're a Jet fan, I'm sure you're torn because there's a guy that you finally could 
hang your hat on as far as defense is concerned. We know the type of player he is. He's certainly a very good, above-average defensive player. But then now, he's been back and forth with the media for the last couple of years in reference to this. And then now he's requesting a trade. He was even filmed in the Dallas area. Some fan on an Instagram story said, Hey, Jamal, you coming to Dallas? And he says, I'm trying, bro. If you're the Jets, you know what? Get as much as you can for him. And I understand it's easy for me to say I'm not a Jet fan. But he's going to be so much more of a distraction than he's going to be an addition. He's more is going to be a part of the team than just to get rid of him. And I understand you don't want to get rid of him for a bag of footballs. But the one thing is, is that if you are the Jets right now, and if you're Joe Douglas, you either fly him back to New York now, sit him down, tell him what you want, the direction of the team, we're on the rise, we have our young quarterback, we had a good draft, we brought some players in as far as free agency is concerned, we want you to be a part of this team. Make him feel welcome, I'm sure they make him feel welcome, but you gotta sit down and take the temperature of this whole scenario now before it gets worse. So if that means that you roll out the red carpet and you feed him the silver platter of whatever it is on his favorite meal is and you go from there, and if he looks at that as like, nah, I'm good, then guess what? You trade him for the best possible offer, and that is it. And it can't get any more simpler than that. And all the Jets are doing here, remember, they have a very young regime with Joe Douglas as the GM. Adam Gaze, I know a lot of Jet fans can't trust him as far as they could throw him. And he's tied into that because, remember, he's the head of the football operations, although Joe Douglas was a recommendation by Adam Gaze, but they're pretty much tied at the hip. So pretty much if Joe Douglas is going to turn to Adam Gaze and say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this, Adam Gaze is going to say, no, let's hang on to him, or guess what, let's say goodbye. So you really have to wonder, if you're a Jet fan, and particularly the Jets, how you have to either start to damage control now, to mend those fences, to make him a part of this team at this moment. Or if he's not willing to buy in, then you got to ship him out. That's all there is to it. And then if you also want to tie that in with Dak Prescott, the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, who's going to sign his franchise offer. Remember that the Cowboys have franchised them, which he's going to make, I believe, $31 million this year. And if the Cowboys try to trade for him, at least for this year, I don't know how much Adams is making, but he's going to want his deal reworked. So if they're going to franchise Prescott, let's say this year, and don't come to an agreement for a long-term deal where they could front load the contract with the bonus and then obviously go up the ladder as far as his annual salary is concerned. And then to also bring in Adams, which you know he's going to cost a fortune once he gets here, on top of them signing Amari Cooper, five years for $100 million. On top of the signing last year of Ezekiel Elliott for whatever it was, $62 million for five years. On top of their number one pick they got this year, CeeDee Lamb, which obviously is making rookie scale, but you know his day and time is going to come down the road. You have offensive linemen who are getting paid a fortune. How much money is there to go around if you're in Dallas? So even though Jamal may be breaking out the blue and silver pom-poms to get himself to AT&T Stadium, but... There may not be anything left for him once he gets there. So it's just something to take into consideration if you're a Cowboy fan, like my boy JD, which I would love to get his take on that. But you got to wonder whether or not the Cowboys are going to have enough room in the coffers to dish out big bucks to a safety on top of pretty much everybody on their offense at this present moment.
And remember, they also brought in a couple of defensive players too. I understand not a big money, the Alden Smiths of the world, but you get where I'm going. So those are my news and notes there for the NFL. To wrap up here, a couple of quickies. I know you had the Belmont Stakes there on Saturday, which is the first of the Triple Crown. Usually it's Kentucky Derby, Preakness, and then the Belmont Stakes where we know that the Belmont had to be pushed up from June 6th to two days ago. And they had the race there where Tis the Law was a prohibitive favorite going into the race. And he goes ahead and wins with a final flurry there. Now, mind you, it was a mile and an eighth the length of the race where we all know the Belmont is usually a mile and a half. But of course, they can't start with a mile and a half and go backwards. They figured that they're just going to do the mile and eighth. I believe it's the same as the Kentucky Derby and the Preakness. So he wins the first leg of that where we're not going to see the Kentucky Derby until September the 5th and then the Preakness until October the 3rd. So people are going to look at it with Tis the Law being such a favorite, him being a three-year-old colt from upstate New York. I think I mentioned at the top. And he's actually the first New York bred horse to win the Belmont since a horse named Forrester back in 1882. That's right, 1882. So people are going to look at it and say, if he does go on and wins the next two legs of the Triple Crown, is this going to be a legitimate Triple Crown winner? Because as we all know, the Belmont is usually last, with which has always been the longest race. And because it had to be shortened, and because it was the first one with the other two to follow, if he does win that, it's going to be legit. Considering the climate of the country this year and the coronavirus, just like if there's a 60-game Major League Baseball season or a shortened NBA and NHL, I understand it's a little bit different because they played a majority of their seasons, but we'll just stick to baseball. If there's a 60-game season and if there's a champion at the end, does it count? Of course it's going to count. We get it's going to be an asterisk next to it, and it probably will be an asterisk next to Tis the Law's name if he does win the Triple Crown. But at the same time, people are going to say, well, why does he have an asterisk? They're going to think 2020 coronavirus? Ah, we get it. So it's legit. I think it's going to be legit in my book. I understand me being a traditionalist that the Belmont should have been a mile and a half, but we get that the first race is not going to be that even with the Kentucky Derby now, two months from now. So, people are going to look at that and say, I don't think it's legit. Eh, it's up for opinion. However you feel, fine. Am I going to lose sleep over if he wins it? And because it was all out of whack, considering the third race was first, and then you had the first race second, and then the second race third, you just got to chalk it up to 2020. And if that's a nutshell in the sports world of what this year was, then there you go. You couldn't put it any better than a Triple Crown being as backwards and topsy-turvy as it is, just like the way this year has gone. So we'll certainly keep our eye on that as we get closer to the Derby. Obviously, that's not until the end of the summer. I believe that's the Saturday before Labor Day. So we'll have plenty of time to chew on that between now and then. Also, the U.S. Open, which I mentioned a little while ago. As of right now, they're going to go ahead with this tournament. No fans. And that's a huge part of the tournament. As we all know, they drew over 780,000, I believe, last year alone. So that's certainly going to hurt the tournament in that regard. Serena Williams has said she's going to come and play. Serena, who's ageless and seems like, uh, although she's now, she's starting to slow down here because 
And listen, when do you think she was not going to slow down? I believe she's going to be 39 this year. She's won all these tournaments. We all know she's an all-time great. But with her being a part of the U.S. Open mix, is going to be huge, especially from the women's side, because we're not going to know what's going to happen with the men's, considering that the French Open is two weeks after that. And when you have guys like Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal, who are both from Serbia and Spain, respectively, with everything that's going on, and we understand that's not for another two months, but will they make the trek to Flushing Meadow to play in this tournament when we know that Roger Federer has called it quits for 2020 to rehab on his knee, so you're not going to see him until the Australian next year in January 2021. So to think you may have three guys and three of your heavyweights in the sport, and they're aging, but they're still effective and they're still dominant, not be a part of the men's side of the U.S. Open, it's certainly going to put a huge damper on the tournament if they don't make it. If they do happen to play the French Open, which is an easier commute for both of them to get to, which is in France, and for them to skip the U.S. Open, a lot of people are going to look at that and there's certainly going to be a lot of sour tastes in people's mouths in the tennis world when it comes to them not participating in the U.S. Open, knowing that we haven't seen tennis pretty much since the Australian. And that would definitely put a damper on it. There's no ifs, ands, buts, maybes about it. You're going to have a champion this year that people will probably put an asterisk next to that knowing that Three of the top guys, and especially the two with Federer not being healthy to play, aren't going to be a part of this year's U.S. Open. So that's something else to think about down the road as we get closer to the U.S. Open. All right, now let me give you my hero and zero of the week. My hero of the week is Jim Kick, the former Miami Dolphin running back, along with Mercury Morris and Larry Zonka, who was part of those Early 70s, dominant Miami Dolphin teams. Of course, the 17-0 team, Super Bowl seven. He passed away over the weekend at the age of 73. Had Alzheimer's disease. He was also residing in an assisted living home as per his daughter. And the famed 72 Dolphins. We saw Don Shula early last month go at the age of 90. And now we also saw early this year Nick Bonaconti, the famed linebacker on that defense. He left us early this year. I believe it was early this year. And as I've said time and time again, the sports world has just been decimated by these deaths here throughout this calendar year. And Jim Kick, who was a guy in that backfield with Zonko, who's a Hall of Famer, and Mercury Morris, who was a fast and very flashy player. And Jim Kick was just a hard-nosed running back. Thoughts, prayers go out to his family. He is my hero of the week. And my zero of the week is to whomever placed the noose, that's right, noose, in Bubba Wallace's garage at Talladega over the weekend where there was supposed to be a race there yesterday. It was postponed due to inclement weather. It's actually going to take place, if not as I speak right now, at some point today. Well, some bonehead placed this noose in the garage. Wallace, who is African-American, didn't see it, but one of his team members spotted it and reported it to the NASCAR officials. Obviously, they're going to Delve into it to see they've said all the right things. It's unacceptable. This is something we're going to look into. It's serious. It's this. It's that. There's no place for racism in the sport. And mind you, this comes off the heels of a couple weeks back when they banned all Confederate flags at any NASCAR event. But you see plenty of them outside the event, which I'm sure was not what NASCAR wants to see 
And of course, they can't do anything about it because it's outside of the venue wherever it's taking place. But to go back to what I'm, my original point is to whoever did that, I mean, geez. And it has to be somebody, it's somebody else's team. I don't know if it was supposed to be just as a joke or whatever, but as we all know, please, people, anybody got the memo here? Not only just this past year, but over the last 400 years? Oh, geez. Just a disgrace. So hopefully we'll find out who that did it, what team that they're on, the part of the racing team that, and again, it's going to be association, which is tough because if it happens to be one of the fellow NASCAR riders, if it's their family or friend, or even if it happens to be one of their support team for that particular racer, it's certainly going to be a bad mark, not only just on him, but on the sport, etc. So without question, whomever did that is my zero of the week. And that'll do it, my good people, but not for this week. You'll catch me again later on this week with another special podcast as I have a guest, Monica McNutt. She is a host for MSG Network. You'll see her on MSG 150 with Bill Pito, Alan Hahn, John Wallace, the former Syracuse forward who took his team to the 96 championship game against Kentucky. Very interesting podcast with her. We delve into a lot of different subjects, not only just about sports. We get into her career. She even played basketball at Georgetown. We also talk about race. Just a very illuminating conversation. Very energetic. Just a great spirit that she is. So you definitely don't want to miss out on that. That'll be out on Thursday. So please, if you haven't done so already, people, I keep on imploring everybody each and every week to do so. If you haven't subscribed, rated, or reviewed this podcast, please do so. All that's going to do is just increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. And as you well know, there are tons of them. So to continue to have me move up the ranks, if you could do that, because that will also generate interest for those outside who don't know this podcast. So I could get the guests like Monica McNutt or even last week I had Kevin McClellan, the former NHLer, back in his days with the Edmonton Oilers, Jahidi White the week before we played at Georgetown and also the Washington Wizards to get those guests on because as I like to do every week, State of the Union, my opinions and thoughts and analysis on sports on Monday and then to have that guest later in the week is what I want to do on the norm. So please, people, subscribe, rate, review on wherever you get your podcast: Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, etc. Also, follow me on any of my social media accounts. On Instagram, it's JReels or the JReels Podcast. Twitter, it's JReels, the one, just the number. My Facebook fan page is the JReels Podcast. And if you want to send me an email with any questions, comments, criticism, praise, I'm still looking for more questions, people, for my Ask Me Anything podcast, which I want to release next week. I have plenty of questions to chew on as of right now, but the more the merrier. So please feel free to send me a question, whatever it is, at any of my social media accounts or on my email account. And then lastly, check the website at www.jreels.com for any information about me, the podcast. I've updated the bio a little bit, also added some Photos in the gallery for a couple of events that I did. Well, the one in particular with the XFL back in the days, and now defunct XFL. And also a an article that I was a part of with one of the internet outlets, which I'm sure you'll uh, get a kick of just a little bit more about me, the podcast, why I do it, etc. And the reason why, people, is because not only do I love to talk about sports, it's been ingrained since birth. This is not only just my passion, but this is what I've set out to do. And I am just grateful and thankful to have this platform to share with you guys so that I can talk everything about what's going on in the world of the diamond, the world of the ice, the world of the gridiron, the world of the hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, 
J Rose Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until Thursday, next time we'll meet here on the J Reels Podcast on the flip, baby. <laughs>